This podcast is brought to you by Norfolk Southern. With technology like data crunching supercomputers and NASA like dispatch centers, they are developing a safer, more reliable railway that is redefining the world of transportation. See how Norfolk Southern is reimagining possible at nsrailtech.com. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Shutt. This week, we are talking about the Joint Select Committee on Budget and Appropriations Process Reform. That 16-member bipartisan bicameral group is tasked with coming up with a bill before the end of this month to overhaul the annual budget and appropriations process. And joining me today to talk about this are Mike Veslick. Uh, manager of the Building a Better Budget Process at Convergence, who's been working on budget issues and budget process for quite some time, and Matt Owens, one of the Convergence stakeholders. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, Matt, can you just walk us through a little bit of what the Joint Select Committee is for anyone who isn't familiar with the group or what it's been working on this year? I'm glad to. Thanks again for having us on. Um, So the Joint Select Committee was established in February earlier this year by the Bipartisan Budget Act. That was the bill that provided discretionary spending cap relief for both FY18 and FY19. Uh, That deal paved the way for completion of that process and and actually set it up for FY19 to be a little smoother appropriations process than we've seen in recent years. Speaker Ryan was behind the creation of the Joint Select Committee and had the support of other members of the congressional leadership. Uh, The committee is tasked with developing a package of improvements to improve the budget process as well as the appropriations process. Uh, As you mentioned, it's got 16 members. It's bipartisan, eight Democrats, eight Republicans, four from each chamber uh, of each party. And uh, so far, the committee's had five hearings. It's poised to do its business. It's developing its, uh, its package of proposals, and we're expecting to see it uh, later this month. And Mike, can you talk to us a little bit about what Convergence is? I know you guys put out that big report back in February, but it feels like it's been maybe 10 years since we did our reporting on it. that, uh, and we we're at your sort of day-long conference on that. So can you walk us through kind of how that process worked, and then a little bit about what you've been seeing from the Joint Select Committee and how what Convergence did may or may not be fitting into what they're sort of looking at for their bill? Yeah, so Convergence, what we do is we run long-term dialogue processes. And for this project, we did an assessment phase over about six months where we interviewed 100 different people all across the city, talking to anybody who would answer the phone call about budget process reform because it's not necessarily the top of everyone's agenda. And after we did that, we convened about 24 stakeholders to come together uh, looked for ideological balance, uh, interest, uh, so so education to infrastructure to defense to the business community, and we brought them into a dialogue. We did 14 meetings over 16 months. The last meeting was when uh, the Bipartisan Budget Act was announced, and they announced the creation of this Joint Select Committee. The group reached five proposals on a consensus basis to help reform the budget process and help improve the way Congress and the president are making funding decisions. Um, and those, nine, those five proposals were based on nine principles. Um, very, uh, or the principles are 
comprehensive, strategic, a simple process, things that it's hard for people to disagree with. Um, and so as we've gone around and we've met with those 16 members of the Joint Select Committee, uh, Matt testified before the committee, as we've met with other members of Congress, including leadership, um, including offices that have on the Budget Committee and Appropriations Committee assignments, found general receptivity to these ideas. Uh, part of that could be they haven't thought that much about budget process and they're finally engaging with it and seeing a path forward. Um, also, there's a wide support for this from um, much more liberal organizations to conservative organizations. I, I always say when we walk in, I bet on our, our list of participants, there's somebody you know and somebody you know who has worked on this. And one of the things that we're going to be watching for in the next two weeks is that that law that you talked about, Matt, um, they have to release text and have a markup before the end of November. And so there's this whole long list of things they could do uh, from really broad changes, things like potentially changing from a fiscal year to a calendar year, potentially incentives or punishments if they don't meet their statutory deadlines. One of the things that we think is definitely going to be in that base text is moving from an annual budget resolution to a biennial budget resolution. Um, so I was just wondering what you guys are sort of thinking about in terms of what you really want to see in base text and from that markup amendment process and what you think is realistic in terms of getting a bipartisan bill that can make it through this Congress during the lame duck. Well, I'll speak as a stakeholder, we'd, of course, love to see the convergence <laughs> proposals all included. All five. All five. No changes. Uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, but realistically, we you know we know the the Joint Select Committee because of the invitation to testify for our group. Um, we know they're looking at them and, and have given them serious consideration. And we know they're looking at a range of other options. Like you said, two-year budget resolution seems to be something where there seems to be widespread consensus. And I, I believe that may be all members of the Joint Select Committee. Uh, with respect to other proposals, I think that's where I think there's support for a lot of proposals. But I don't know if there's clear support uh, that gets you over what's a unique voting rule uh, for the Joint Select Committee. And that is you have to have at least five uh, members of each party support a recommendation for it to be uh, – for the package to be approved. This is an important hurdle to get over. So th there's a number of proposals for them to address. And the question is which ones will meet that standard that – get that bipartisan support. It's been designed from the get-go to be a bipartisan process. That's how it's been conducted uh, at the committee level. And I think that's where they want to see a markup go. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, some of the other things we've heard, you mentioned the fiscal year change that seems to be moving off the table a little bit more. Our stakeholders are willing to look at whatever the Joint Select Committee comes out with. The ideas that we considered meet those nine principles and then there were four themes that the stakeholders uh, saw emerge throughout their dialogue. The first being election driving outcomes. Two and three are linked very closely. Information is incredibly important in this process. We need high quality information to allow members to make decisions. Having credible, well-respected institutions such as CBO, such as OMB, such as GAO, such as JCT, assisting in this process to give members the information they need. And finally, norms need to change. This process will not start working unless members want it to work. If they want it to work, a lot of the ideas that the JSC is talking about can very much make a difference, but members have to decide that they want it to work. And we will be right back after a short message from one of our sponsors. You may know Norfolk Southern is the leading freight rail company that powers our nation's economy. 
But did you know they're also the innovation leaders that are reinventing the railroad as we know it? Using automated computing platforms, their freight rail network safely orchestrates the movement of hundreds of trains, while their data-driven predictive models can foresee maintenance problems weeks before they occur. And their virtual reality simulators are training crews more safely and effectively. With an array of new tech, Norfolk Southern is reimagining what's possible. Learn more by visiting nsrailtech.com. Welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. We are still here talking about the Joint Select Committee on Budget and Appropriations Process Reform. And guys, one of the things that I always like to pay attention to with groups like this is the personalities that are sort of driving the committee. And one of the other sort of interesting formatting issues with the Joint Select Committee is that it's it's an equal number of Republicans and an equal number of Democrats. And it is co-chaired by Steve Womack, a Republican of Arkansas, who is also the House Budget Committee chairman right now. And then Congresswoman Nita Lowy of Democrat of New York, who is currently the ranking member on House Appropriations. And if Democrats do take back the chamber following the midterm elections, she could very well be the first House Appropriations chairwoman. And so do you guys want to talk a little bit about kind of what you've seen from those two members and their staffs throughout the year and kind of how that may play into these final couple of weeks that we're looking at? Yeah, I'll start with the hearing where I had the opportunity to testify on behalf of the Convergence Stakeholder Group. Uh, I had opportunities, you might imagine, to, to speak with the, uh, the chairman and the ranking member at different times, and, and both went out of their way to talk about the seriousness and importance of getting this right, and the fact that they were, you know, we were the second hearing, the fact that they had other hearings on tap, uh, still trying to figure out what the contours of that was, but they really wanted to bring in different perspectives, both sides of the aisle, different types of experts around town and across the country that could get them over the hurdle. Both of them said that. And I, th- I was really struck by that. And it's been in our interactions with uh, their staff and other folks who have connections to members on the Joint Select Committee. Uh, time after time, there is this spirit of we have something important before us. How do, we, how do we get to the next step to get to the next step to ultimately come up with a package that can enjoy bipartisan support? It may not be big and bold. It may, in fact, just be some tweaks on the edges or something that is a a really important modification. But at the end of the day, I think they believe if they work together, they model that effectively, there's a good chance that their package will be taken up by Congress and be approved. And uh, to Matt's point about at the hearings, I, I was at all five of them. Chair Womack had made a very clear point that we need a neutral or unbiased process. For the convergence group, that was a key principle that it could not tilt outcomes, could not tilt outcomes towards raising revenues, it could not tilt outcomes towards cutting spending. There was not, the process should remain neutral, should elevate the information, should give Congress ability to do its job, then it's up to politics and the members and the voters to decide the course. Voters and members will decide whether to raise revenues or cut spending. That's not up to the process to be the final say on that. It's up to the members to own that decision and to move that ball forward. And even after the Joint Select Committee members get base text and hold that markup and amendment process, that's still just only one piece of the puzzle, so to speak. You're still going to need successful votes in the House and the Senate and for this to be signed into law by President Trump. 
whole lot of moving pieces there, especially in the very short time frame they have for the lame duck and the other legislative issues and leadership reshuffling that they're going to have to compete with for attention there. So what's your best guess for how much leadership you know, cares about holding floor votes in the House. And then in the Senate, of course, that law that set up the Joint Select Committee requires a Senate floor vote, but that's not the case in the House. So I can speak to, on the committee, they have been a really bipartisan group. We've seen members such as Congressman Kilmer from Washington, Congressman Arrington from Texas, been great members for our group to interact with and and associate with as they continue to move forward. We know that this is something Speaker Ryan is incredibly interested in. I personally view it as a legacy deal for him, and he wants to see this and set this up uh, for a future Congress to do better and to to really tackle that issue. Um, Matt, I don't know if you have similar thoughts. Uh, uh, Very similar. And I've had the good fortune to be able to talk with a number of the leadership offices during this period of time. Uh, as well as others. And one thing that's clear is that they're very interested. Clearly, Speaker Ryan is, uh, but that's true of the other four corners. Uh, it's also true that we got an election on Tuesday. So what will be the factors that dictate where they want to take House floor consideration of any piece of legislation or Senate floor consideration? What are the incentives? Uh, so I think pre-election, I think uh, the outlook looks very good. Post-election, they're going to have to make the calculus and make a decision. Uh, But I do think there's enough there that regardless of which party may take control of one or or the other chambers or things stay the same, there's enough there that uh, I think they understand there are a few things they still can work together on, and this would be really good for setting up the next Congress. So I think it's going to get consideration on both chambers. Well, in in building on that point, I would not be surprised to see if this did not get passed in this Congress for there to be some element of members working together on issues that they couldn't come to agreement on through this more formal process in an informal setting. I I would not be surprised at all. It seems like these members have enjoyed working together, built relationships, which are some of the keys to really making successful policy. Okay. Matt Owens and Mike Beslick, thank you so much for joining us here on the CQ Budget Podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It was great. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.